Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, lots to get to here. We're going to do Summer League wrap-ups. It is our goal to get to, over the next few episodes, a wrap-up of every roster player's Summer Leagues. May not get to a lot of the two-way guys there are now three of them on every team. So if there's someone who is really notable, we'll try to give them a discussion or someone who was taken in the second round this year. But I think it's probably enough of a project. Uh, I don't know that you're getting a full wrap up of every single roster players summer league uh, on any other podcast. So let's get to it, Danny, in just a second. First, though. We have a trade to announce. We do. And um, a, a couple of different moves for the Phoenix Suns, but we'll start with the trade, which the first trade, which was the Phoenix Suns earlier in the offseason fully guaranteed Cameron Payne's contract. It was partially guaranteed before that, and they, they had already fully guaranteed it, and they are trading Cameron Payne and a second round pick plus cash to the San Antonio Spurs for a future second round pick. And from Phoenix's perspective, this saves a ton uh, on the luxury tax. A preliminary estimate I did is that it saves them about $25 million just in tax. Now, that always gets complicated because who you add in and take out, you know, like for the books, it can look bigger or smaller because the tax is progressive. But, you know, it saves them a lot. We can put it that way. But it does come at a real consequence, too, because... Even though campaign hasn't always featured too heavily in the Suns or his other team's postseason plans, this Phoenix team is extremely shallow for the regular season. And I think that's the bigger issue concern with this for me. Well, they also do get a trade exception. So yes, they, they can bring in a lower level guy and they get just more movable ammo uh, in this move the, with uh, Orlando for the pick swaps we'll talk about in a second. But yeah, Payne certainly would have helped them in the regular season. Hilariously, maybe his best game as the Sun uh, occurred in their second worst defeat <laughs> during the time that he was there. That game six against Denver, he had like 30 points as they were getting completely blown out of the building. That'll be his last memory as the Sun. He had $2 million only guaranteed of that $6 million and and recall that he signed that contract after the 2021 finals run when he performed quite well. Actually, probably won them a game when Chris Paul was out in the West Finals. I think he had 29 points. And I was surprised that he only got $6 million a year. I thought he was looking like a pretty good backup point guard. Then he struggled the year after that. Had a little bit of a bounce back last year. But he's always been someone who doesn't do that well from an injury standpoint. 
and he's pretty thin. And so I think the way that the Suns want to play now is with more switchability, more size. And he's really the one guy who projected to be in, in the rotation who wasn't going to fall into that. And the reporting is now that Bradley Beal is going to be essentially their starting point guard. I think probably even Devin Booker will get more of those reps, but Booker's got a little more size. So we'll call it Beal, whatever. And Law Murray had a great point that that kind of harkens back to the way that Frank Vogel played in his first season with the Lakers. And they really didn't have much in the way of traditional point guards on the roster. And so LeBron James is just the point guard. And then LeBron, after they won the championship, I think didn't really want to do that. So then they went the Dennis Schroeder and Russell Westbrook routes, which were uh, both disastrous. But here with KD, with Booker, with Beal, I think there's a, a feeling that they have enough ball handling. You can go with at least one of those guys uh, on the floor. Uh, they like Jordan Goodwin reportedly as well as a, a possible option at backup point guard. But he's a little bit stronger, a little bit more athletic than Payne. And you know we'll see whether he's capable of making shots off the ball. Or we could see maybe a, another smaller move during the season. But I think your initial point there is a good one that Payne will probably be missed during the regular year because of the uh, injury histories of Booker, Beal, uh, and Kitty, and the fact that nobody necessarily plays uh, that many games anymore. Years and years ago, when I was kind of, I mean, not as many years as most people, when I was falling in love with basketball, I had this idea, I called it the fractional point guard theory. And basically the idea was if you distributed ball handling among more guys, maybe you could it could work out. And there were, you know, I, and it was non-traditional point guards and all that. And the Suns will be a fun test of that concept because they have all these guys who can handle the ball, who can initiate, but that's not all they can do. I mean, Devin Booker is a phenomenal example. He can, he can initiate, but he's also really, really good at the other elements of offense. The challenge as a practical consideration is that not only leaning on stars, but diversifying it in this way, like in the regular season, there are guys that are going to be out. There are going to be guys that, you know, whether it's foul trouble or injuries that, and so you're putting more, and you're also putting more strain, more creation strain on your best player who that's fine in the playoffs. You know, that's, that's kind of the point you want, you want to be in there. And so it's a concern. And there was a, this like, Oh, they could use Saban Lee, like a Saban Lee is on a two way and there are limitations on how much a two way can, can do there. But also like, I don't think he's at the threshold where, you know, you're going to lean on him to run second unit offense for the sun. So I don't think this is going to be a huge, a huge thing for them, but I do think that they're, you know, like it could be a couple of games. It could be a couple of seeds. Like that's the way that stable back our backup point guard can be. The other notable part of this for me for the Suns financially is we've praised Madish Bia previously on this podcast for being willing to spend extra money on to to make some of these contracts a little bit more player friendly like for example giving a lot of these guys second year player options which then meant that the league wasn't subsidizing their their salaries in part if they had done that with some of these players and some of them they may have had the leverage to some of them they might like they did very well on the on the minimum market like eric gordon i think giving him a one plus one is completely reasonable but you know like we'll see with with Katie Bates, Diop, and some of the other guys who I like, but like, you know, or Damian Lee, who had just signed a one-year minimum, those savings that they, you know, are the non-savings that they had there, well, those added up too, and if the overall level spending was too high, they could have gotten there another way. Maybe they could do well on the backup point guard market. Like, for example, there are some backup point guards, you know, I've always brought up Paul Neto, but there are various other guys where the margin between them and, and Mr. Payne is not that significant. But just like how trades don't have to have a winner and a loser, this trade is justifiable, but kind of like that, but not like a, a sl- like a perfect 
play for the Suns. I really like it from San Antonio's purposes because Cameron Payne is a reasonable player under reasonable contract who can help them kind of like stabilize offensively right now and who they could theoretically involve in a transaction if they want to moving forward you know I don't think it's as clear as Reggie Bullock who they got in that move with the Mavericks and they could you know get an asset in get an asset out yeah you you hit on it initially there have been two times that they've made big moves or a big series of moves first was the KD trade then it was Beal and and all these minimum signings with the one plus one where we've kind of praised Ishbia for shooting money out of a fire hose but they have then followed both of those spending jags up with cost-cutting moves. It was the Sharich for Darius Baisley trade, we thought maybe, and that saved him, you know, I think five million bucks in salary and way more, of course, in taxes. And Sharich probably could have played for them, and as particularly with DeAndre Ayton's struggles. And, and Darius, Darius Baisley didn't. No, no, he didn't. He's now in Brooklyn, interestingly enough. I thought he maybe could have played for him, but they certainly were not of that opinion. And now again, the you know campaign, as you noted, probably could have helped them. Probably would help them more than uh, a trade exception. And of course, they had to give up a, a second, one of the ones that they picked up uh, to move him. But there's a legitimate use of a second to save thirty million dollars. Um, what about uh, this move with the Magic that they had? The other transaction from the Suns' perspective was um, they traded one of their few remaining swap rights. So this is in 2026. Well, they I guess they added a swap right to it. <laughs> oh, oh, they can always add another swap right. They, they could have a swap with 29 other teams if they wanted to, Danny. <laughs> That's true. We may but so, we may see that by the end of this. But so the Washington Wizards were already getting, and I, I, you know, like my property law professor referred to it as property is a bundle of sticks, and so you can only trade, you know, like you can only do things with the ones you already have. So they had already given the Washington Wizards the right to choose the better of Washington's pick and Phoenix's pick. And then Phoenix got the worst of those two. Now what they have traded is the worst of those two picks, which is all they have, to they've traded that to Orlando, the right to do that for Orlando. So if Orlando's pick is better than the worst of those two, then Orlando can instead have the worst of the Wizards and Suns picks. So that is a, in 26, that's the last year that Kevin Durant is is under contract under his current contract with the Suns. Devin Booker and Bradley Beal are still under contract for that year as well. So, I mean, there's a, a chance that the Magic could have a better record. It, they absolutely could. I, I, I mean, I don't, we don't expect the Wizards to have the best record of that group, but it's possible. But as is the case with all these, it's like, well, what did the Magic give up for that right? So I've said that the, the right wasn't too strong. Per Bobby Marks, the, the picks that Orlando gave up for this swap right we're not exactly strong it is denver's 24 second reigning nba champion strong roster usually pretty healthy with Jokic. the celtics 2028 second which is top 45 protected and there aren't many teams knowing what we know right now that would be picked more likely to make the playoffs in 28 than the celtics and the least favorable of the magic pistons and bucks in 26 and the Bucks could go in different directions, but you know we we expect them to be to be good at that point. Their Giannis is at uh, his player option is that year, but anyway, and it's the worst of three. So if any of those three teams, so those don't have a lot of top forty five equity. One of them can't convey in that circumstance, and then the other two are unlikely to. So or for Orlando, I really actually really like this as a piece of business for them because they gave up very little and they got something that's probably not valuable but could be. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair characterization, and for. Phoenix, the idea is just to have more divisible things that can be moved. Now yes. you can't you can't uh, send out cash 
under the new CBA when you're over the second apron. And so this will make things easier for them to make just some of these low-level moves that need to be made around the draft or to dump salary most likely uh, or maybe to just pick up kind of a low-level player or to help a, a team that's has to dump a guy for very little to win the press conference by saying they got three seconds or whatever it ends up being. So I think for Phoenix, this is not – as long as their 26 season isn't a disaster, this turns out to be fine. And that's KD's last year. Now KD's going to be older, but they, they'll have Beal. They have Booker under contract as well. Like they should be at least okay then. And, yeah, I mean, that they're making a calculated move, probably the most calculated move ever to go all in for a couple of years. And that's what I think some fans actually really want their team to do. It's the anti-Washington Wizards uh, in some respects. And uh, I'm just fascinated to see how it turns out. I've probably been higher on what they've been doing than some, even acknowledging that the risk is extremely high and the chance of success is not that high. But there's 30 teams. (laughs) Your, Your chance of success is not that high anyway. Uh, but the San Antonio Spurs were able to pick up a, another player. They are in a major, major roster crunch. Like campaign could theoretically help them. He's probably the best, second best point guard on the roster. I don't know if they loved the Blake Wesley backup point guard uh, experience necessarily in summer league. And they've still got Devonte Graham as well, but he, he could be a trade candidate. I will see whether they want to move on for Payne. I mean, I think Payne is definitely better than some of the backup point guards out there who project uh, as the main guys. Uh, but yeah, they're certainly going to have to make some cuts here. And you know, they still have Dominic Barlow out there as well, who we'll talk about here in a second. So I think that's a good time to transition to the rest of the Spurs Summer League. We, of course, talked about Victor Wembenyama, Brendan Miller, Scoot Henderson, and Amen Thompson the other day. So uh, go back and listen to that one if you want to hear about those guys. But all four of those teams at the top of the draft also had a lot of other candidates. Where do you want to start? for the Spurs. I, I want to start with C.D. Soko, who's someone who we caught a little bit of in, in the video for Scoot Henderson. And for some of these guys, I want to do a little bit of just like the basic physical characteristics because we, we didn't, you know, we didn't scout them. If we scouted them, then we could go back to that. But so Sissoko listed at 6'7", 225, originally French, but played for the G League Ignite. And there was there were murmurs at times that he could get a be a first round pick, though I think everybody had him below G League Knight teammate Leonard Miller, who also didn't go in the first round. And, you know, rolling the dice on wings is a completely valid exercise. And, you know, Sissoko, it's going to like for most of these guys, it's going to take a little bit of time. And I thought, he, you know, at times he showed, showed some athleticism, you know, like wings that have that are competent there. But he had an extremely small role within the offense usage rate of 10 percent. Um, Only he was uh, two of 11 on three. So like I'd say my, my preliminary thing on Sissoko is he's a work in progress and that's totally okay. Sissoko, very interesting prospect. And there are some things to like, there's a reason I think he fell to the second round and you'll get into his offense and some of the hilarious numbers uh, on that, at least in summer league in a second. And summer league teams could be weird. There are a lot of mouths to feed. And that was the case for a lot of these teams, particularly at the top of the draft that have a lot of prospects uh, and Sissoko, there are basically three things I would say that really intrigue about him. I mean, number one is his quick feet defensively yes. and his strength. You know, that's he's got that 
potential to be that kind of pj tucker type of defender uh however where i'd say he's a little bit different than pj tucker is he's got some pretty good explosion even off of two feet he can kind of crash in uh, around the basket like maybe a little bit of rim protection as well and then he also has some ball handling ability you know can they even run a pick and roll here and there and pass now again there's a reason i'm only saying that i'm not saying his pick and roll scoring ability I'm not saying his shooting you know, there, there are, but you know, maybe his offensive role could be something of more of a distributor out top and, you know, do a few fake DHOs and get to the rim and, and maybe finish with power there. Uh, but the, there are some really weird things about uh, the statistics for him, both in the G League and in Summer League. Uh, and uh, he's an interesting guy, but has a long way to go, as you alluded to. Two of 12 on threes in 167 minutes, because the, the Spurs with the Sacramento and Las Vegas Summer League, Sissoko has played in seven Summer League games. You know, that's a pretty low three-point attempt rate. Has gotten to the line 17 times, which is a little bit better there. And, you know, there's... There are worries that, like, oh, is he going to be guarded out there and everything else? But And there's also the question. I, I like you. I was more intrigued with Sissoko when he had the ball in his hands. But it's the fundamental question with so many NBA players of like, oh, they could do some interesting things there. But if they're not good enough to actually like generate quality offense, then that, that opportunity is not going to present itself. In some ways, you actually want somebody who has better off-ball game. Maybe it's that they can take three-pointers so they get guarded or they're a good cutter. And I so I, I think that the super small role within the offense is not a huge problem. I mean, he's 19 right now, will not turn 20 until April of next year. But that in order for Sissoko to be a reliable rotation player, he needs to burnish that defensive potential more, which he, I think he will do, and get to a point where he can, you know, where he can fit within an offense. And I, like, I, I'm more confident in him, I think, than I am most picks in the 44 range. But there's still a lot to do. Let me hit you with some of these stats uh, sprinkled across the G League and Summer League, and uh, we won't spend as much time on you know second round picks as this guy. But he's just such an interesting player that I, I kind of wanted to. Uh, he, you mentioned he played seven games. He scored 30 points and was nine of 30 from the field. Oof. So it just incredibly low usage, operated exclusively as a play finisher, some spot ups uh, and, and transition. Uh, it, you mentioned the three point shooting, really just didn't have much of an offensive role on this team whatsoever. He played even some at the three next to Wembenyama and one of their bigs. And, you know, he's, his offense isn't even good enough to, to play the four. In the G League, though, I mentioned his passing. He averaged 3.5 assists per game. He did do some pick and roll. Only 65% from the foul line and shot 30% from three there. He averaged a block and a steal per game. Not too bad. But hilariously, because he can jump, he's big. He averaged 2.9 rebounds per game in 29 minutes in the G League. So if he's going to be a power forward, he's going to have to rebound better. Uh, that that was just one of when you just see him out there, like, how is this guy? And he's rebounding like worse than Jeremy Grant. Like, it's it, it's unbelievable. I, I, I mean, maybe he was just playing out on the floor so much defensively, but it, it was just uh, very surprising. But he did have 19% usage. 60% true shooting in the G League. He was effective as a finisher there. Uh, the three ball, you know, I don't know if it's like completely hopeless, but I mean, my guess would be he's going to be a below average shooter even for the four position uh, when fully formed. He kind of starts his motion on the left side of his body, brings it up way in front of his body, and then uh, finishes the shot more on the right side of his head. 
but you know, again, we've seen guys who look worse than him develop uh, as shooters. So I, I think he's an interesting flyer. Has a lot of interesting physical tools with that strength, the quick feet, jumping ability, and then you know some feel for offensive basketball. So keep an eye on him. Uh, there's a lot of guys in front of him, of course, uh, including Jeremy Sohan, who's kind of the a similar archetype of player, but uh, uh, is you know much higher in the prospect pecking order yeah. there. And just as a note, Jeremy Sohan, um, Mamu, uh, Mamu Kulashvili, and Charles Bassey, all young guys for the Spurs, none of whom played in several weeks. So we, of course, will not be discussing them at Contacts. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since 
spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us and then another flavor of summer league player which we'll spend a lot of time on in these analyses are second and sometimes third year guys who you know didn't show enough in that time to make the teams feel comfortable not playing them and for the spurs they had two first round picks who in 22 who played in 23 and we could start with the guy who was drafted higher and that's malachi brandon six foot five two guard out of ohio state played you know a fair amount for the big club last year and Branham, the I, the question was kind of like, so he, he could, could he could float, fit within the offense, and like he shot he shot the ball well in summer league, forty eight percent on about seven threes per game, but he actually shot better on threes than twos. And with him, I've always just kind of wondered, well, what is his place within a really successful team? Though I, I in some ways he's he's more of a, a round peg and a round hole. You just have to wonder whether he's good enough to fill the role. Yeah, and we always run into some of these score types who don't. Do do a ton else in summer league and the analysis isn't necessarily that interesting on their main thing because you don't want to go crazy on whatever the sample size is there you're kind of comparing it to what we saw during the regular year and Branham he was most known at Ohio State coming out as a freshman uh, drafted I think it was 20th overall it in, was. in 2022 the uh, Thaddeus Young pick swap into the second round that was a steal of a trade for the Spurs ended up being Christian Coloco actually that the Raptors took there and Branham you know his number one thing was creating shots in the mid-range and rising up and he is capable of doing that but you know you never know like especially at this point in a guy's career is he gonna shoot be one of these guys who just shoots high 40s from there if not then you know that's probably not particularly reliable good offense uh, for you but it, it's difficult to know at a point in time like this uh, whether he's gonna be there I mean I think I like him in that respect more than maybe some guys we've seen who are trying to play that way uh his three-pointer is you know still a little bit of a work in progress you know, I, he shot it pretty well in summer league uh he was eight of 14 on catch and shoots i think almost all those were threes and he's kind of shooting it out in front of his body maybe launching it a little bit more out than up uh, I, i would like to see uh then on jumpers off the dribble 10 out of 25 and rim finishing was terrible nine out of 25 he matched blake wesley's i i'm sure there's a, a number that's higher than this but the highest number i've ever seen was blake wesley getting 14 shots blocked in last year's summer league and branham he only played in the last of their games at the california classic i think he played what was it five games overall and yeah, yeah, he but- got 14 shots blocked. Even Wesley, who played more games, only had 10 shots blocked this year. <laughs> Uh, and, and even some of those mid-rangers that he was trying to get off, those are a few of the shots that he did get blocked. You know, he's not blowing by guys. I thought that when he did get to the rim, the best, because he's got pretty long arms for this player type, I thought some of the best that he looked was getting extension on some of these same hand, same foot finishes. If he tried to go up off of two feet, you know, he was had two hands on the ball a lot, it was getting blocked. Like, that kind of looked ugly. Uh, 
But I think it is encouraging, at least, that he's able to generate 25 shots at the rim in five mm-hmm. games. Like, that's that's pretty solid, again, for this player type. Uh, I thought he looked good at times playing off the ball, uh, utilizing back cuts. And I, I think defensively, you know, we don't focus too much on guard defense in, in summer league necessarily. But I, I think he has enough tools to be average at the position. And I don't know, what, what else do we need to talk about with, with him? I wondered how much they were going to have Brandon distribute. And the answer was not a ton, 2.5 assists per game, or if you want to use the assist percentage, um, 16, which is significantly more than last year, but they really did have the ball more in Blake Wesley's hands. Yeah, he's operating more from the wings off a wide pin downs uh, or uh, off of regular pin downs or or in the DHO game where he he could also go back door, which which looked decent. And yeah, it's a little bit harder to distribute when you're attacking from the wing versus up top. And he really, his performance really yo-yoed. He had two 29-point games, but he also had a 1 of 15 game in, uh, I think it was Wenyama's second game, the, uh, the Portland game. The aforementioned Wesley, what'd you make uh, of his summer league? I do think that it was better than a year ago where he was one of the more I, I you you've always liked the signs on him more than I did but I, I thought his summer league was discouraging last year and you know there were there were signs that were a little bit better this year uh, even though the true shooting only went up from 42 percent to 44 but you know had, had some better passes was I thought he did a little bit of a better job getting the lane as you mentioned his shot wasn't blocked a billion times which is better um but with Wesley the so the difference yeah, with yeah Wesley it, was, and, it was only uh only 600 million times this, yes this year. but the difference to me I brought up the idea of like Brandon being a round peg in a round hole is that with Wesley, I like, I think that he, the biggest difference is that for him, like, I think that he's, he's not good enough at the things that he does. And then when you scale him to a smaller role, we wonder like, I mean, he shot well from three last year, but it was a small sample. He only took, you know, 1.4 a game and it wasn't a huge part of his repertoire in the NBA season. And so with Wesley, it's like, okay, so you probably scale him down to a secondary ball handler. And that's presumably what San Antonio is going to offer him as well. Then you need to bring a lot defensively. You need to be able to hit those shots and, you know, attack hard. And so I'm not giving up on him, not in any, any shape, like any way, shape or form. He's 20 years old, but I, I just wonder how it's going to translate when you have the other pieces in place that San Antonio needs to add, irrespective of Wesley. Yeah, you mentioned he wasn't particularly efficient this year. Let's recall that this is a guy who at the NBA level shot 30% on twos on about 150 attempts. Yeah. So actually getting to the rim for 38 shots in seven games and was shot 50% there. And a lot of these are pretty tough plays uh, in the half court uh, trying to create. I thought he looked uh, at his best in full court situations. And and the big thing about him physically is he has a pretty quick first step. He's not an elite explosion guy off of one foot in space. He can get up for some big dunks, but not a great two foot leaper. And he has a tendency to get out of control some, but the turnovers weren't as bad this year. I mean, we didn't see as many of these just complete no hope attempts to finish at the rim that got completely sent back. And the jumper, 71% of his jump shots came off the dribble. You mentioned that he, he was playing up top as the primary ball handler most of the time. He was two of nine on catch and shoots. I think his three ball whether off the dribble or on catch and shoots, it does take him a while to load up. He really gets kind of a deep knee bend. Uh, he tried to do some kind of careening his body into guys, foul drawing at the rim. That had mixed results. I thought defensively, he had some nice moments 
where he was able to attack guys dribbles with that quick first step and get going the other way in transition I thought he was good digging in from the wing at times as well as defensive activity level I thought was pretty decent he wasn't like you know just totally heating up the ball but I thought he 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 had a, a decent activity level and I think he could maybe evolve into a solid one two defender in time he's just a very raw player even at this point in time and yeah, some of the finishing at the room going back to that I had one more note on that that he just kind of he'll just kind of weirdly twist his body away from his direction of travel and try to extend that way but that doesn't work for him that much at, at times so he hasn't developed as well as maybe the optimists on him would have hoped I think the idea always was hey he's got this quick first step he's got some ball handling ability pretty good athleticism and let's see where that takes him how did he do as a passer I'd, I'd say the returns were better than a year ago wesley's had the ball in his hands both both years but you know produced an assist on uh i think it was like basically like 24 percent of the possessions where he was on the floor that he didn't take the shot which is pretty good and like he Wesley had some, I thought he had some pretty good finds. I thought he's getting a better sense of like where guys are supposed to be within the offense, which is, which is really a positive thing. And that might sound basic, but it actually is really hard to adjust to at the NBA level. And like one way of quantifying this, I mean, again, we're dealing with extremely small sample sizes here is that Wesley a 0.6 points per possession, 0.64 as a pick and roll ball handler score, but then that bumps up to about 0.98, so a little bit below point per possession when you include passes. Yeah, two more things there. 25 assists in six games, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But uh, And he will rebound. Uh, also, that that was something on the defensive glass, and that could be useful as a Graham Go guy. His free throw shooting, both uh, at the NBA level last year and then this summer league, has been, you know, he hasn't cracked 70% yet there. So if you're, and he's going to need to shoot it a lot better than he has so far from the outside. And even if he does finish out the driving and finishing thing, or figure it out, I should say. One guy who looks to have really figured some things out in the last six months months or so uh is julian champagne i mean again we're dealing with small summer league stuff here but julian champagne last year played for the sixers summer league team played in seven summer league games had 28 percent true shooting on 16 usage this year played in five for the spurs 59 percent true shooting on 25 usage um i mean it was it was impressive like he, he the jump shot really went in uh 41 percent on about eight threes a game actually eight and a half is probably a, a is fair way of putting it and so champagne who got a fully guaranteed contract for the spurs this year the reporting on that deal is that it's uh three million for this year and then four three more years after that so a total of four each of which is had non-guaranteed until like roughly august 1st um but champagne yeah i mean he like looked like a looked like somebody who could contribute to them and for those who are less familiar with champagne he did spend um last year in a mix of the Sixers and the Spurs, uh, six foot nine forward originally out of St. John's. And now he he's 20, he's 22. Now he turned 22 during summer league. Yeah. Yeah. Six, nine, it seems a little big. Uh, I, I, th- I saw six, seven with the six, 10 wingspan. He, I, he, I, mean, he, I, I yeah. will use real GMs. I will tell you for this. So if they okay. have it. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe uh, he was, uh, but anyway, you know, six, seven with six, 10 wingspan. He basically plays like a shooting guard. Uh, most of the time and the shot really wasn't there in college you know he's shooting kind of mid-30s there 
And even in the G League last year, that wasn't amazing. And then he went on this crazy heater that nobody was watching at the end of the year for the Spurs. I caught up on it a, a little bit. And then uh, seeing him in person, that California class, I mean, that just shooting a really easy ball, particularly his catch and shoot uh, looked outstanding. 14 out of 34 overall. And these are basically all threes in summer league. Jumpers off the dribble, it didn't shoot those as well. But when he was wide open, uh, it really looked good. Unguarded catch and shoots, 8 of 13. Uh, uh, and he's got some pretty good bounce. So he had a huge tip dunk coming in uh, at the California Summer League. I averaged 29 points a game in those two games in only 26 minutes a game as uh, they blew out both the teams that they played. Also got to the foul line quite a bit, six attempts a game and rebounded pretty well. Got uh, those 31 free throw attempts uh, were quite interesting. And his athleticism for this player type, if he really is going to shoot the ball like an NBA shooting guard to be this size is intriguing. There were moments defensively where he's able to make plays. I thought, though, his closeouts were not particularly good there are a few times he got blown by and kind of half-hearted efforts there where you crash into the paint try to get out even on a guy who was a poor shooter and would just get completely probably should close out short would get completely blown by for a dunk that, that happened a couple of times uh but overall on ball like he he looks the part of a decent defender you know he's not someone who's going to be at a massive physical advantage i think the big thing that's changed for him is just that this shot has started going in maybe that's something a, a tweak that was made once he got into the spurs organization but we'll see it's still a pretty small sample but i mean when you see this guy shoot the ball and he's wide open you're like yeah, it looks when it leaves his hand, it looks like it's going in. So I, a pretty good bet for the Spurs to get him at what is by the end of this deal will probably essentially be the minimum three million a year. It, it might even need to get bumped potentially. Like we'll we'll see where things are. And that, ha- that happens automatically yeah. for those interested. If your contract ends up being below the minimum, then they will bump you up to the minimum. Yeah, for your your years of experience. Let me see if I had anything else on them. Yeah, you just really try. Part of why he got to the foul line so much is when he's got a head of steam, he is going to try to dunk it extremely aggressively. And he probably got five or six foul line uh, or trips to the foul line just from like, oh, there's a guy there. I don't care. I'm just going to go in and try to just end him. Uh, the last the last Spur that I want to mention, um, in part, we won't dwell on him because he doesn't have an NBA contract right now, though I hope and expect that to get changed, is Dominic Barlow. And you and I have both been fans of Barlow going back to 22 Summer League and played for Overtime Elite um, before going undrafted in 22 and then signed with Spurs and was on a two-way last year. And as I believe he's on, uh, you know, is on that two-way restricted free agency. So we haven't really seen other than uh, Jack White. We haven't really seen a lot come from that. But Barlow, you know, I thought he mostly played when he played with Wembenyama. Played significantly more than that because Wembenyama played in two games and Barlow played in six. Um, I thought he showed, you know, plenty, of, plenty of juice. Competitive, like he was worked hard on the glass, and and I just continue to like his game. I don't want to spend too much time on him, but I still like him. I kind of do want to spend too much time on him. Oh, go I, ahead. I, this is this is one of the few two way guys that I really was fired up for, and it's it's interesting because he's a free agent. Like he absolutely needs to have an NBA contract next year, and given the Spurs roster crunch, if I were another team, I I would move. Would in. you would, would you give him to, a fully Would you offer him a fully guaranteed NBA roster spot for this year? Yeah, at above the minimum, even. Wow. Yeah, I I would I would definitely offer him the minimum, and I would consider going above that too. Yeah, I mean, I, I might even offer, especially for one of these teams, or it's like you just don't have it to like okay if you have to cut them later who cares yeah like it's uh, i would absolutely take that flyer and uh, 
you know, maybe the Spurs match it, but I mean, why not? Uh, the, where it starts with Barlow is, you know, he's a little bit undersized for the center position, nine foot standing reach, 6'10 in shoes, but he has a 7'3 wingspan. He was 221 at the combine last year. I think he's added some weight now. And that physical profile, he's not an elite jumping athlete, but he does have very quick feet. They utilized him as a switch guy quite a bit. I think he can absolutely guard the four just fine. Uh, those long arms, he has pretty good timing as well. If he does get beaten, he can bother the guy from behind. But I mean, all right, there's plenty of guys at the NBA level who are like absolute superstar scorers. I wouldn't be comfortable with him guarding, but I think switching on to most guards, particularly at the summer league level, he looked pretty good. Just his effort level is really high. And the, the play that stood out the most to me, he actually didn't even make the play, but he turned it over up top he was operating a lot offensively as you know kind of a handoff guy around the elbows and there was a turnover someone shot the gap and got the steal and he just sprinted back like it was just an incredible effort he for and it looked like he had no chance of getting the guy he almost was able to bother him and, and he still made the layup but I, I thought the overall effort level for him was really good uh you know he blocked some shots that were like maxwell lewis from the lakers tried to dunk on him and he just sent that back uh one of the things he's pretty good at is if he's guarding someone up top which is important if he's going to be switching out of the perimeter crashing down in the lane like you'd see guys drive and the teammate would kind of hold him up and then barlow would have good timing to come down from the top and make the block as the guy kind of tried his double pump finish uh as a rebounder has consistently been about 12 percent offensive rebounds at the g league and Summer league level, not a great defensive rebound. You like to see center be above 20% defensive rebounds. He's kind of more in the mid to high teens there. Well, and you'd also love, if if Barlow is going to play more of the four, you'd love to see more on his jump shot. And that just hasn't been there yet. No, maybe it could come in time, but Barlow. Well, I I will, I I must... uh, I mean, I, I realize I'm the Dominic Barlow expert because I, I was just so impressed by him. And I, I happen to just see him a lot live, too. Uh, his mid-ranger, like, he, if, like, He's they were trying him. to back off. Uh, I mean, he, he had a stretch where he was making, like, every mid-ranger. I think he was 8 of 14 on mid-rangers off the dribble of just when he'd go into his that handoff game and his man would back off to try to take away the back doors of these guys. He would just shoot that jumper. It looked pretty good. But, yeah, it, at, at the three-pointer, you know, hasn't really been there. I think he was, like, you know, took 23 and made like six or something at the yeah. at the G League level. And the free throw line has been hit or miss too. Like he's had trouble in some release, but he did shoot 72% on 25 as a spur last year. Uh, I don't, let me, let me pull his G League free throw percentage last year. He was a 78% on 40 G League uh, free throws last year. Yeah, only played 18 games there, but I just, with his athleticism, He's got some passing ability, some shooting ability. I, I thought I also liked the way he operated along the baseline, like finding cracks in the defense there. And so, uh, like, you know, is is he a starter? No, but I would. I think he could develop into a very nice backup center uh, prospect, particularly with some defensive versatility. Well, and if I didn't mention it, Barlow, even after you know the second NBA year, he's tw- he. This will be his age twenty NBA season, so it's not like he's one of those four year college guy. You know, like yeah. still still has a lot. Like there, there's there's more that could that could be here anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like 
you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Let's get to the Charlotte Hornets now, and we can begin with some of their older guys. Of course, we talked about Brandon Miller already. James Booknight, I just don't have much time for him anymore. 25 usage, 47% true shooting. Danny, don't look at it. Would you care to guess how many assists James Booknight had in six games? Seven. Oh, no, I'm afraid you went far too high. The answer is five. Oh, I mean, that <laughs> seems like more than he had in the college film we watched. But um. uh, well, and this is this is somewhat depressing. The, all the roster guys that they had and now, of course, Booknight's in his third year. So is Kai Jones uh, that they were 0 and 5 and just completely non-competitive in a large number of the games uh, that they played. And book night, one of well, the there was there was that game that. where they were down 25 to five at the end of the first quarter. That was the first game of, of the summer league, right? Against the Spurs that when Benyama didn't play in California, like they, I was at that game and I was like, oh, Brandon Miller, like they got all these roster guys. Like they should come out and, and play really well. And you're just like, eh, it could be a long season at Charlotte uh, or, or a long summer league at, at least. But yeah, book night just, you know, it doesn't give you a ton defensively. It, he still kind of does this lean to the left three-pointer he's got like some explosion getting to the the bucket and finishing but i mean this guy's supposed to be a scorer and he's not efficient and he does absolutely nothing else so there's just and this is in his third year in a summer league that really kind of caters to these on-ball scorer types you know recall all those years ago when josh selby was the (laughs) the summer league mvp and uh, the fact that he was just utterly ineffective as a third year guy in this summer league when given a lot of rope that 25 usage is uh i'm not gonna say it's disappointing because this is what i've kind of come to expect from him but i mean holy crap spending the 11th pick uh, on him is just a, a massive fail uh, well, how about uh, the guy that they actually traded away a future protected first rounder to get at 19 in that same draft, Kai Jones? Well, if you want to be an optimist, I think this was definitely Kai Jones' best summer league. And I think it was that by a significant margin. He was a, a, a playmaker defensively. You know, steal rate and block rate were both over 4%, albeit in a small sample size. But when I saw Jones, who I, I didn't see a player who's just like a, you know, like a clear cut rotation player waiting. And remember, like, this is his this is not only his going to be his third year in the league, this is his third summer league. So I would say more positive on Kai Jones now than I was six months ago, a year ago. But that's that, that's a bar that you could basically just step over lightly. Well, he took baby steps this year. I thought he was more effective, but that was mostly because he limited his role. Right. And last summer league, they had more mouths to feed this year, but last summer league and the 
one before used to just over 20%. This year is only 12%. Uh, he took 24 field goal attempts remember, in remember, five la- games. Well, I mean, one way of putting this, last year, Kai Jones took 16 three-pointers. He went one for 16 in summer league. This year, he took 24 shots in five games. Well, and recall in previous years, he was even playing like some three, mostly four. This year, I think there's an understanding that he just is a pure five and he's not going to be this guy who's going to have a, any kind of an offensively versatile role. It's basically just going to be get up for some dogs. He had some massive ones there. I mean, when he loads up, he gets up there. He just crushed one on Wembenyama's head in, in that first disappointing game for Wembenyama off a, a nice alley-oop from Nick Smith, one of, one of the uh, four assists for the Hornets uh, in their summer league uh, experience. Uh, but yeah, I mean, 11 steals, like he's got the long arms. I mean, maybe there's a feeling that he can still be a force defensively in time. It just doesn't feel like it's going to be for this team. Uh, he did have one sweet face-up drive for a big dunk. I mean, if he gets a, a head of steam up, either off of one or two feet, like he can just absolutely obliterate the rim or get some huge highlight blocks. But he is pretty thin, still doesn't have the quickest feet. Uh, it's a foul magnet, 25 fouls in five games. And yeah, only took the three three-pointers uh, this year. So it's I think he at least, and now this maybe was just because they had all these other guys, there's maybe a better understanding of what he is. And you know maybe there's a hope he could develop into one of these kind of rim-running speed backup centers. But it feels like that's probably going to be for another team. And it seems like, again, this just incredibly disappointing for a guy that they really they like went and got this guy and you know now they've limited their trade possibilities going forward here that pick's been bounced around several times i think actually the spurs have it now well so and, they, uh, I, yeah. I i don't want to actually engage in this as an exercise but when i was watching book Knight and kai jones i didn't mention this you were sitting a couple seats away from each other at summer league i'm like how much more would you have paid to for the hornets to have your own people in place for the draft when you consider what they've done the last couple of years oh yeah yeah you're talking about uh Plotkin and yeah like like i mean that's worth at least 200 million in sale price (laughs) like they had the number well i I mean for for, uh yeah for brand miller yeah because i i mean some of the discussion was what michael jordan's still going to be the minority owner and so he because of that he still wanted to like have the power to make the pick and uh and and actually this is jake fisher wrote about this since we're talking hornets apparently steve clifford and mitch kupchak are both in the last year of their deals uh steve clifford got the nate bjorkeren memorial only two years to guaranteed head coaching contract apparently because remember he just came in uh last year after they fired borrego and then you know, and another then example the kenny, Ak- the, the kenny atkinson thing fell apart yeah well i mean and that's a uh, uh, and, and perhaps that might give you an indication of uh, why, again, that, I mean, you never know what it was. Maybe it was the assistance that they're going to cheap out on. But, I, I mean, to go – and Steve Clifford, I don't know that he even is a bad coach. Like, they looked friskier defensively. Like, they may actually be better this year with Clifford. Who knows? But that they just were only willing to go two guaranteed years. I mean, that kind of, again, shows you where the organization has been. And hopefully, Plotkin and Schnall will uh, have a new philosophy. But, uh, yeah, they were not able to, uh, to run this draft. and. Again, we don't think Brandon Miller is going to be the right pick there. Uh, I also want to talk about uh, James Naji. Yes, who was uh, number thirty-one overall. Yeah, are, are you 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 like him? You sounded like slightly excited there. I guess uh, when there, we're talking about Kai Jones and Book Knight already, it's tough to not to be there, more excited than those guys. There are some things that intrigue me about Naji. Um, 
out of, originally born in Nigeria, played on the second Barcelona team last year. You know, so he was on Barcelona too. Um, but you know, within their organization, and was the first pick of the second round. So not somebody that we kind of got a lot of time on. And what I enjoyed about Naji, who only played um, about eighteen minutes a game, is that he was active, he was aggressive, and his block rate was phenomenal. I mean, almost ten percent block rate in the limited time he played. Yeah, so a, a lot of people were kind of higher on Naji. I'm. I didn't like him as much, honestly. Uh, I, you, you know, his, his block, uh, his rim protection is probably like his best skill at this point. He, he's got these huge measurements, right? Seven foot in shoes, seven, seven wingspan, 251, nine, four standing reach. I mean, those are all elite numbers for a center. And I thought you saw guys kind of bounce off him a lot. Of, some of his blocks, I thought maybe were fouls, but uh, when guys kind of bounce off of you, it, you don't get called for him. I mean, it's what he, he's definitely not fat. He's, he's a, definitely a brick shit house, but uh, who do we used to call the brick shit house? Semi like, Oh yeah. He's out of the league now. Okay. That, that nickname is open. Uh, so I, I thought there were fouls, but uh, and he has that, that long wingspan, pretty good good timing on some of these blocks. But I don't think his lateral movement is amazing. Would you agree with that? He's probably going to be would. just a, I, a drop center. What I thought of Najee was like, he's more likely a backup center than a starter. And he's not a backup center right now. But like, he has some potential. Like if you can get him, if you can kind of tighten up his instincts a little bit, he's not going to be a versatile center, but he could do some things and maybe he can show a little bit more offensively. I think he's going to be, you know, more of a play finisher than anything else. But, you know, I think he could, I, my instinct is that he, there's this meaningful chance and he, I also had forgotten that he was the 31st pick when I saw him. And I was like, oh, yeah, like this guy could play. And it's like, well, you're the 31st pick. You should be able to play at least a little bit. Yeah, I mean, just to finish up on his defense, yeah, I don't think his lateral movement is amazing. Uh, you know, I thought he, he, he plays hard for sure. I, like, I'll give him that. He's, he's got good size. He plays hard. Like that's maybe you can carve out a, a little bit of a role. You know, I'm, I I think maybe he's kind of ends up as like a poor man's Bismack Biombo, uh, because he's stronger than Bismack, but he doesn't have that level of lateral mobility, and most importantly, he doesn't have the explosion. I don't think he's a very good leaper at all. Uh, if you turn to the offensive end, uh, didn't take long to watch his 12 shots that he took in six games yeah uh, and again, i mean it was uh, only 105 minutes but still that's not a ton <laughs> usage, <laughs> a usage so, rate a usage rate that looks up at 10 percent. yeah yeah so and a couple of times when he did get open for an alley-oop they threw him one on an open side pick and roll and it was, it was like you'd think any center is like going to crush this and he just like couldn't get up high enough uh, to dunk it and it just kind of bounced it off the back of the rim so I, I don't think he has great hands he does fight hard on the offensive glass he brings an energy level there uh you know i think he could crush guys as a screener but i think he's going to struggle to finish uh, in pick and roll and I, I didn't think his feel was unbelievable either I, he's if he could jump better i would probably be more in on him but he's pretty ground bound and and that i think is going to really ultimately limit him i he feels to me like he's going to end up like more of a third center like for one of these guys like oh he has these unbelievable tools and like you know Gavoni tweeted out his measurements and stuff but I just the the lack of bounce there is the biggest thing that really I I was not a huge fan of we can go to the guy who was taken four spots ahead of Najee the 27th pick of the first round this year and that is Nick Smith who played in the Arkansas backcourt with Anthony Black and is now of course on the Charlotte Hornets and was considered the better prospect coming in he's been talked about as like a top five pick uh before the season and then he had an injury hit year with arkansas had an injury hit year draft fell um was clearly dejected on draft night i felt i felt poorly i mean that's one hard thing being in the room is you see the guys who are who are having a tough time and unfortunately smith there were some better moments but he had i would say he had a tough summer league overall and 
what I wanted to ask you is like I I remember going back to summer going back to the hoop summit in 22 when I saw him that what I was most intrigued by with Dick Smith was his defense like and it's always a little bit of a concern when the thing you like most about a guard is their defense but what do you think his calling card could be in the NBA I'm not talking about right now I'm not talking about him you know he's 19 right now but like a couple of years from now what do you is there something that you can sell yourself on as being like his NBA skill? Yeah, so I mean, there are a few. He's not really a, particularly a master of any trade, I would say, at the moment. But the physical profile now, he's listed at like 6'5 with a 6'9 wingspan. I, mean, I shouldn't say listed, but that was where I was able to find. He did not measure at the combine. Uh, maybe because, and I don't know if you remember what he was at the hoop summit. I couldn't find that, and you know I'm not going to spend 15 minutes looking for it when we have to do all these guys. But I would say that he doesn't look six five out there. Doesn't look like he has a six nine wingspan out there. But you know he does still have, clearly have good size for the point guard position. And then I think he's got pretty good shooting potential, and it's like an adequate passer and ball handler. So to me, the path for him would be as maybe more of a complimentary point guard who can shoot well enough to play off the ball some but also bring the ball up run pick and roll has you know i don't think he's ever going to get strong enough to guard above maybe the two necessarily but a guy who, who could be adequate defensively and really be a guy who doesn't at point guard who doesn't have like a ton of weaknesses that that would be because there wasn't anything that particularly stood out to me in the film of him either before the draft or now other than just you know i think he can work the pick and roll and get to a mid-ranger or floater pretty easily but you know again how is that going to be amazing offense you really got to hit those shots at a great rate maybe he could be one of those guys uh you know i think maybe he can get to the point where he shoots the three pretty well off the dribble but he's not a a, i would say really a plus athlete for the point guard position like good handle for his size but when he gets to the rim he's not really able to explode much off of one foot he can move the ball around i think he's got some finishing craft uh but he's not really gonna go in and and really dunk on people like his passing was only okay like he had a couple of nice alley-oops he passed that kai jones huge oop uh, on Wembenyama. uh so yeah there wasn't any one thing that stood out to me like I, i was it's sort of like oh he's this tall point guard right i guess that was the reason he was such a high prospect but i didn't see any skill where i was like so blown away where i was like oh i totally get why this guy was considered top five particularly considering some of the guys who were at the top of this draft that we really like the other thing that i would add in and i brought this up a little bit with his college teammate anthony black we did the scout is this theory that i have you know like oj mayo is another example of this of like players who were very athletic relative to their high school brethren but then when you condense the field into like the nba levels and they don't take a step up like they just it does, the whole package doesn't work quite as well. And so with Smith, I, I think there's a good player in here, but I think of it more as like a high-level reserve who has starter upside if things really work out. You know, like if, if he develops, like there's there's a big universe of outcomes for any player, but especially somebody who has, you know, good positional size. And so like I, I think that with Smith, but the problem is, you know, like first, so at the 27th pick, that's reasonable. You know, like that, sometimes people think, oh, you know, late first round picks, like those, those are really valuable and they are, but the, you know, star potential is usually pretty low for a reason. So with Smith, you know, like a third or a fourth guard who can work his way into something better than that is absolutely possible. But what I'm looking for a lot in the first summer league for guys is, is there something they do that either is very different than what I had heard or what I expected, or that 
whether I had heard or expected nothing that like I could see translated with Smith. Why I posited the initial question to you is that I didn't really see that with him. Yeah, but I could see him being a guy that we think of as, you know, kind of in the 20 to 25 range sure. in our point guard rankings if sure. things go well for him. Because, the, you know, like, so here's some of the guys that, that we had, you know, in that range. It's like a Dillon Wright, Monte Morris. We, we talked kind of about how the, the point guard position is down. A Cole Anthony w- was in that range. And so I think you, once you get below kind of 15 to 20 in the point guard rankings, you have guys who have some big weaknesses. And I'm not saying that Smith isn't going to have weaknesses. You know, we don't know how well the shot's going to go in for him. You know, he only got to the rim. I think 13 of his over 80 shots were at the rim. So, you know, taking a lot of mid-rangers, he's got a, a lot to, he's going to have to round out his game a lot from you know, and let's not forget he had a totally lost year at arkansas but he's gonna have to just learn to not be the show offensively and he had the one game where he was actually like you know kind of breaking guys ankles a little bit getting to some some jumpers and making them which looked pretty good he had 33 points uh but also i think it's pretty telling that these bigs basically never shot and he was one of the the primary point guards out there again noting that they had brandon miller they had bryce McGowan's, they had james Booknight, they had him there are a lot of perimeter mouths to feed so yeah, I think like Dick Smith could be totally good. I I just was kind of mystified as to like what was it that put this guy as like a top five player in this class coming into the season because I didn't see the level well, of was, athleticism that I expected to see for a guy who was at that level. And it was funny uh, his teammate Jordan Walsh, college teammate Jordan Walsh, had a comment about how like you know when you get to college it's a fresh slate and you have to kind of play you know earn your spot and everything else. And he's like in the NBA the same thing. And like it, Walsh was a second round pick for the Celtics that we'll talk about, you know, in a future podcast. And I think that that could actually benefit Smith. And I think that for him, like the expectations falling to 27 might actually be more manageable for him than if what had happened this year, assuming that he wasn't, he's, that he didn't become a significantly worse player due to what happened this past year, which I don't think is the case. Then, you know, being 27 versus being like 13, 14, like James Booknight was. I mean, Booknight was 11, but you get the idea. And so like maybe now the Hornets can take things a little bit more slowly with him. And then the other good thing for Nick Smith is that because Dennis Smith is now playing in Brooklyn instead of in Charlotte, like if he does well, there will be opportunities probably both this year and next for him. Yeah, and I think because he shoots, I mean, that's that's the way the way I think he could become exceed this possible production is just that he really starts to shoot it well. Like he he is a, a solid shooter and he's comfortable creating shots and shooting off the dribble. So maybe that just becomes some big weapon. But you could also look down in two years and it's like, ah, shit, this guy's like shooting under 40 percent from the field because it's all jumpers and they just don't go in. So that, that's that'll be a big swing skill for him. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure... Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. 
your guy Bryce McGowan's didn't have. I, I thought he had some flashes, but statistically, uh, not the summer league that he was probably hoping for. No, and McGowan's 40th pick a year ago out of Nebraska, six foot six, is the listing that I saw in Real GM um, last year. 43 percent on threes and um, had a smaller role overall with the Hornets, but 33 percent on about one about a little less than two per game in the in his NBA minutes. And so with McGowan's, the idea was like you could do that, but a little bit with the ball in his hands. And unfortunately for McGowan's, the three ball did not fall this year. In summer league, he went from 12 of 28 to six of 22. Though it is a reminder of how small that sample is, even for a guy who played in six summer league games this year. But I thought that, you know, there was a little bit of burst with, with the ball in his hands. And so like, I I was always intrigued by McGowan's as like a two-way guy who I thought had a path to being a rotation two guard. I still think that's the case, but I, I have over the last year become less less extremely confident that it was going to happen. Yeah, the sell point for him was that 6'5", okay athleticism, can create shots. Uh, but yeah, those did not go in at all in summer league. Uh, he did show some ability to get to the rim for some dunks. He had six dunks in those six games but when he couldn't get a dunk it was pretty ugly nine of 26 on layups and then he was also three of 18 on jumpers off the dribble and that was you know another kind of selling point there when he did shoot a spot up which was you know quite rare for this team because this team was just take turns creating your jumper off the dribble over and over again there certainly was nobody actually driving putting pressure on the defense and like kicking out to a shooter uh, or setting up a big for a dunk that just didn't happen on the summer league team it was uh all jumpers off the dribble and uh, uh Bryce McGowan's maybe the worst offender in terms of being unable to to make those um so yeah he still has decent size he's a little skinny like if he is a little brawnier and you felt like he could really guard the two and and maybe even switch on to some threes uh, then maybe his ball handling skills and shot creation would be more interesting of course that's, that's got to go in too so so he still has some athleticism but i think he's he's in danger here of kind of getting lost in the shuffle in charlotte this is a chance for him to really break out and move higher in that pecking order he was unable to seize it unfortunately speaking of lost in the shuffle um i've never been the biggest fan as an nba player of amari bailey who they took 41 who is going to be on a two-way this year out of ucla and bailey you know it's the do you pop more than we thought and i didn't really see that much with him you know like a competent defensive player who can do a little bit in transition but bailey who you know younger guy was a one and done is 19 now will turn 20 in february like you know i think you know you you roll the dice on a two-way but he didn't show me like oh like compare him to like what dominic barlow showed last year in summer league where you're like oh this guy could be a guy like i i was you know i i that's all i need to say on amari yeah i mean he got drafted 41st uh, and he's a a lefty plays hard, you know, good but not great athlete. I'd say kind of six five, so he's really more two guard size. And I'm not sure he quite has a two guard game in terms of his shooting or his ball handling, but he will create shots. He, he is kind of a, a garbage guy. He'll get cuts. He'll get in for offensive rebounds. I, I thought he was one of their better defenders on the perimeter yep. with this group. Uh, and you know the shot though, he was only took eight three point attempts and made three of them. So and still didn't shoot over 50%. But yeah, he did like, he got a few offensive rebounds. Like he's definitely sticking his nose in, making things happen, which kind of 
stood out as something that this uh, terrible summer league team needed, at least a, a, an effort guy to some degree. But I, I'm not sure where he's going to be good enough as a score to be one of your two perimeter players. But he could carve out a career with like decent athleticism, decent tryhardies. He's relatively strong uh, and not a great finisher at the rim at, at this point in time. But he was aggressive and and uh, particularly in the Sacramento Summer League, he, he tried to get to the foul line. But I, I so he, he was a high recruit. He's interesting. He's got some ball handling skills, but I, I it didn't really other than just that he's kind of careening around the court and doing some stuff, which I mean that is a skill, but it's a much more useful skill when you're six eight than when you're six five. Any other Hornets worth noting, or do you want to move on to Portland? Yeah, let's uh, move on to the Blazers, and we can start there uh, with uh, Shaden Sharp. Yes, and Shaden Sharp, who for those who remember had a very short lived rookie year summer league, he only played six minutes before getting hurt, and then of course played a lot more for the Blazers. He was you know 20, 20 minutes a game played in all but two games for the Blazers. And so the question that you and I had going into this was really like, what role do they want? What do they want to see from Shane Sharp? And ideally it was to play alongside Scoot Henderson, who unfortunately only played in one contest. But the numbers for Shane Sharp, I don't think were fantastic. You know, 45% true shooting on 29 usage is great. But really what I was looking, what I was surprised by was he actually showed some playmaking chops. Yeah, that started to come together towards the end of last year when they gave him the ball and he had a, a string of 20-point games as they were tanking. He actually won them a couple of games down the stretch last year, and then I, th- I think they ended up actually shutting him down to, at the very, very end uh, of the successful tank. And yeah, I thought that was the thing that stood out the most to me in terms of things that he's added. And it wasn't unbelievable, but 2.5 assists per game when you know there was a time when he uh, was averaging about 2.5 assists per month at the NBA level early in the season uh, was good. And yeah, he made some plays where he got under the basket, found a corner shooter, found a cutter when uh, his man was gapping off of him. So this is the best I've seen him from a passing standpoint. The offense, a lot of settling for jumpers. I mean, he had one absolute nightmare game in the game uh, against San Antonio when I think he was one for 15. Uh, it was also interesting that uh, in the first two games he played, one was uh, that game against Houston, which was awesome. And then, of course, the, the game against San Antonio, uh, he actually just was going to try to do some like crazy showtime fast break dunks a couple of times and just like lost it as he he like bounced it off the floor too hard and then just like couldn't control it and like he missed two fast break dunks and it occurred to me that those two games in terms of just the feeling in the arena are the two biggest highest pressure games that he's ever played in it's unreal because of what last year's Blazers season was. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he was uh, like when they were actually trying to win. I don't think he was like closing games or anything like that. And he did actually then the, in their game against Detroit, he actually was able to close things out and get to the rim. I thought when he did try to drive, it, it went pretty well, but I thought he settled a little bit too much for his jumper. And it just like it looked good. It just didn't go in. You know, I think he can shoot it better even on the exact same diet of shots. But especially at this level, I really wanted to see him attack more. Now, he doesn't have, I mean, he and Scoot are kind of similar in this and that they're really great leapers, but neither of them have like an unbelievable first step. I think Sharp's ability to get to the basket has looked better as time has gone on in the NBA. And when he did try, it usually looked pretty good. 
The finishing wasn't amazing. Some of that was just he can jump like crazy and he's trying to go through two guys and finish or get to the foul line. He's only around 50% at the rim, uh, including, you know, blowing those fast break dunks. He also had one of the best dunks in summer league history. Where he just completely destroyed Jay Huff uh, on Houston uh, in in that first game. Uh, but I mean, you see some of the places that he takes off from and he does have some touch finishes. Like I think he's just going to get better as a finisher. He just has to continue to improve his understanding of when to make the pass in those situations, when to take off, how he can draw the foul. And there are a few moments of pick and roll craft where he could kind of get the guy on his back. And that's really powerful for him because, you know, he can really just explode from a dead stop from the dotted line and finish at the basket. So if you get that guy on your back and you can do that, that and then you also have the roll man you're putting that defender at the basket in a a two-on-one situation when you're not going to take a floater there like you're going to jump from there and it's going to be a layup that could be really powerful for him like to see a lot more of that um what else do you have and i I have a few more notes but uh uh, that that i mean like you i thought that the some of the shot diet was a little bit concerning but that summer league i'm not gonna freak out about that but that he can make more of them than he did like i mean six to 22 on five and a half threes per game like if that bumped up to nine or 10 you know i wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me too much and the weird missed dunks are, are definitely there and then defensively i thought he was fine not not spectacular or anything like that but you know i'm okay with that yeah you mentioned the defense i mean there are moments where he comes over as a rim protector and just obliterates guys and i would love to see more of that i, I thought there were and even if a guy gets past him he can chase him down from behind as well and i mean with the way he can i mean he's one of the absolute best leapers in nba history with how easy he gets off the grind he could do it off of one foot off of two feet and when he comes over like he really can mess guys up as a help defender so i i, I hope that chauncey billups and the players can continue to develop that because that could be extremely intriguing that like this is as a guy at you know six five six six who could be an incredible secondary rim protector. Uh, I thought this was really interesting. He only took five catch and shoot shots in this entire time. It was all off the dribble stuff. Scoot Henderson, you know, injured himself was was not able to set him up that much. But Shaden Sharp was forty five percent on catch and shoot threes last year at the NBA level, and that's something I think could also be really exciting with uh, how quickly he can get his shot off, how well he can jump. You know, he doesn't jump absolutely as high as he can on a shot, but it's he gets it off so easy, such an easy ball. I would love to see him develop his game coming off a screen shooting threes. I think that could be really good. He was also better on the glass, five point three rebounds, uh, and I think I would like to see more from him on the offensive glass now that that's yes. back in vogue. He had some big tip dunks this year. Uh, and he had you know one offensive rebound per game. I think you know he could really be like your secondary crash guy a lot of times. Too. And he's and, and sharp is fast enough that he could get back in the action. That's something I've really grown to appreciate about certain guys like being go players in the you know go, using Brett Brown's terminology is that right. if you can do that without sacrificing defensive positioning. And I think Sharp is somebody that eventually Billups could entrust to do that. Where do you want to go next here for Portland? Let's go to Chris Murray, uh, the other first round pick, you know, the non-Scoot Henderson one, 23rd pick. And of course, the name sounds familiar. It's because his identical twin, Keegan Murray, was a much higher pick with the Kings last year and had a a nice rookie year. You and I have both been fans of been fans of him um and so with murray with chris murray the the question for me was kind of like well 
how is this how is he different than his identical twin and we well, you know, like and, and i think that with murray it, the the connective tissue isn't quite as strong as keegan which is completely fine and i mean he's taken 23rd his brother was taken in fifth or sixth and but there is a lot there's still plenty that i like with him you know pretty solid positional size and well like, i think he's built more like a four than a three jump shot is not spectacular but is pretty good and so i, I think i'm higher on chris murray than most yeah, he was only 4 of 16 on spot-ups. It's also weird that he's a lefty when he and Keegan are identical twins. So it is. One conversation I had is like, which one of them is shooting with the wrong hand? Because in theory, that's like a genetic thing whether you're left or right-handed. I would guess it's probably Chris Murray. Like his shot doesn't look quite as pure as Keegan's does. Uh, but yeah, only 4 of 16 on spot-ups. But uh, from what all the scouts are telling me, he's going to be a good shooter. Like that's you know probably going to be his primary weapon. Uh, he was found some ways to be effective on the offensive glass and i thought he was maybe even a little bit better defensively than his brother kind of getting through screens he had, had a nice strip where he got through a screen and then uh stripped justin champagne or i'm sorry julian champagne and i think the expectation even though he's the same size obviously as his brother is he'll operate a little bit more of a wing than keegan murray did still not the quickest feat but i, I thought he had just a little bit more of a perimeter defensive mentality at this stage than his brother who again was more of a primary offensive option uh i'm still i'm not sure what chris murray's outstanding skill is he's drafted 23 he's got good size so and i think he's got some passing ability some dribbling ability some shooting ability uh but i I wish he got to the line more that is something that i I, I wish chris could get into and and there were times at college where like because i ended up seeing a little bit of his film watching keegan that i i I, they could get into there that could potentially be a call card and like the the, another difference is like we brought this up with nick smith who was drafted in roughly the same range is that it's a lot easier for a forward-sized guy without a signature skill to make an nba career because there just aren't enough players his size who are good Jabari Walker was uh, a darling of Summer League last year, drafted late in the second round, but has been on a, a full NBA contract. His shot, again, he shot it well, but on limited attempts, 6 of 12 on threes, he was 6 of 14 last year. He wasn't as effective uh, at the NBA level. Uh, you know, he, offensively, he does have some ball skills. They ran a few kind of little pitch backs for him at the top, and he's not going to blow by anyone, but he's strong enough and has enough ball handling ability, really long arms and touch that he can kind of work to a spot do a spin move and uh, maybe finish this, particularly if he has a smaller guy on him. Uh, the two things to me that are going to be, and he's also, you know, just a good physical rebounder. Doesn't have a lot of explosion, though. Like, there was one play that stood out to me where I can't remember who the guard was who drove, drew the entire defense, and Walker's wide open under the rim, can take a step forward, and he still wasn't able to dunk it. He just had to kind of lay it in over the front of the rim. Uh, but he can certainly carve out space down there with his big body. And then the two questions, Question marks, of course, are the shooting because he is going to mostly be an off-ball guy at the NBA level. And then can he switch? I thought the returns there were decent. That you know, he had one play where he took a charge on Wembenyama. He's not the quickest guy. I get that, but there are other times that he was able to contain pretty well using his length. Again, he's not going to pressure the ball necessarily, but he, he's also able to kind of use that big body, bother guys if they're able to to get past him. Where I saw him get beat a few times was when guys would attack him initially, act like they were going to step back get him moving forward and then he wasn't able to change direction he gave up a couple of blow buys there so i he's remains an intriguing player i think if he can get to be you know a really high intelligence player hit some shots like his defense and rebounding could be plus skills potentially as well 
Right. And so Jabari Walker has a partially guaranteed contract for this year. And then if he makes it through that, a non-guarantee contract for next year, like, I would absolutely give him a roster spot as Portland this year. And you, you see where things go from there. And yeah, yeah, I, I like it. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. And then the last Blazer that we need to discuss, their second-round pick this year, um, Ryan Rupert, originally from France, then played for the New Zealand Breakers in the NBL before jumping to the NBA, was the 43rd pick this year. And he, somebody I was I was sitting here described him as all limbs, which I thought was about right. Like he just like even for even for an NBA player, like he just like looks hilarious there. And that did translate at times. You know, he had a couple of a couple of steals, but not not really a ton. But what I wonder about with Rupert, who you know didn't play a ton for this Blazers team, they had a lot of guys ahead of him in the rotation, played 18 minutes a game, is just how this apply. Like you, you give him a year or two to figure this out, and he does have a fully guaranteed NBA contract for the next two years. But like it, I I think that he's he's going to need a lot of work physically and from a skill development standpoint to get there. But you know, super log six, six seven dudes, like you, you give him a chance. So yeah, the branding on him, he's being talked about as really as the, the late first run is this big seven, two wingspan that he has. And hilariously, he wears number 72. And like, is that for his wings? That actually would be a great idea. It just, would be. Because if you're not doing anything on the floor, you just provide people that you have a seven, two wingspan. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't do much to take advantage of, of that. You would hope that a guy like this would have more than three steals and a block in 91 minutes uh offensively he was awful six to 24 0 for five on threes and if he had a little bit more as a leaper i I think i could get behind uh, his prospect status but he's really going to need to be a guy who kind of stride things out uh, as a finisher he does have some smoothness to his game getting to the rim like he's not a totally unskilled guy but of course he's not going to be a on-ball star in which case if you're a bail you need to hit shots which he didn't really show the ability to take or make those necessarily. But he was coming off the bench. He wasn't a a number one option, but he didn't shoot it particularly well in in New Zealand either. So other than the length and and that kind of smoothness, he still is a little bit thin. Also, he's going to have to get stronger. You know, I didn't see a ton to love uh, in his summer league uh, debut. There's So hopefully he's not going to become one of these like Bruno Caboclo-like freaks who's basically only attribute that people like it is the wingspan. And I think he's got more feel than someone like Caboclo, but Caboclo also was a lot bigger than him. He had a 7'7 wingspan. But yeah, it's, it's crazy that like when you see him, you're just like, holy crap, this guy's arms are, are massive. But that's all about... 
uh, about all I've got on him as of now. The team with the fourth selection um, was the Houston Rockets, and the Houston Rockets abruptly went from having like a a jam packed summer league team to having a more concentrated summer well, league team. Well, they tried they tried to tank at the end so they could go home too. That was great. <laughs> and I think I think they might have won anyway. I I I, uh, I will admit I kind of don't pay too much attention on the, to the uh, summer league playoffs personally. Yeah. And so, I mean, what I was alluding to there was the trades of Tai Tai Washington and Usman Garuba in particular, two guys that I've liked in the past and who, unfortunately, due to the transaction timing, really didn't get summer leagues, which sucks because like that could be beneficial for them. But instead, it was really more concentrated on, I would describe it as four guys. And so that was Ben Thompson, who we already talked about previously, Jabari Smith, Tari Eason, and Cam Whitmore. And I will give you the choice of which of those three gentlemen we discussed first. Well, Jabari was fantastic. He really was. one of the one of the greatest shots in summer league history uh, a game winner against uh portland where they threw it in from the backcourt it's him they were down two. uh great pass i can't remember who it was who threw it actually over the top of the defense but he still was about over 30 feet out and he drained a three to win it that that was actually hilarious to be in the building for because the fans were so excited to see Wembenyama, and there was like a review that then led to a three-shot foul that could have tied it up and I think I can't remember who it was maybe it was Jabari who missed one of the free throws but the fans were like apoplectic that it might go into overtime and there are all these reviews they really wanted to see Wembenyama. they started just booing everyone at the end of this game because uh Scoot had already and a men had already gone out by that point too they had but uh, what were Jabari's stats here for the summer league? Because he, uh, he put oh, up numbers. Oh, oh, they're impressive. He only played in two games, but Jabari Smith, 35.5 points, seven rebounds, four assists per game. Per game. These aren't totals. Um, A 36 PER, 64% true shooting on 35 usage. And the way he was operating in large part was through the elbows, through the top of the key as a handoff man. He played some center as well, though he played a, a lot next to a, another center too. And that's how he had the four assists, which was uh, impressive. Like that, that was kind of interesting because when you have one of these handoff guys who can shoot, that is really dangerous. And, you know, we saw with like Sabonis in the playoffs, okay, you, the strategy is we're going to get through the screen up top, we're going to top side, and then we'll back off of him. And if you can't hit the jump shot to make him pay, it kind of limits the offense against good teams. And we think Jabari uh, can do that. And he, he had the jumper working. Yeah, I, I mean, still, yeah, go ahead. He also had the jumper working in that second game against the Pistons. He was primarily being guarded by Wiseman. And so Jabari Smith just went to a steady diet of pick and pop jumpers and was talking a metric ton of shit to James Wiseman, which was pretty fun to watch. <laughs> now, I'm not, and he also got to the foul line a ton as well. He started off really poorly in the Portland game and then came on by the second half of that one to drop the 30 points as he did in both games. I'm not sure how much the on-ball creation stuff is going to translate still. I mean, he still can shoot over guys to be sure, but you know, he didn't look like way more explosive as far as like getting by guys. There was some of this isolation stuff and he was able to get fouled some at this level and that was a big part of his efficiency. I Against NBA level players, I don't know how well that will translate necessarily. The biggest thing that I was impressed by, and I thought even his jumper was okay, like it's still a little bit flatter than you would like for some of these like unbelievable shooter types, although he, he did shoot it well. What, what did he shoot from three? Three of, uh, so he overall in the two games, he was 
six of 18, so um, 33%. But he yeah, was so, so 23 of 27 from the line in two games. Yeah, and that you know a lot of those were generated by some of these mid-post isos or like fake DHO and drive. Uh, also got up for like a big dunk. Like he can still, like, he doesn't have the greatest explosion as a quick leaper, but when he can get a step, you know, he can come in for uh, some big dunks. What I was actually most impressed by and I thought would is going to be most interesting for this year. I know he scored well and that was good to see to see him put up those stats. Again, I'm a little skeptical of how well that will translate, particularly given all the all the other players that they now have on this team. But I thought his defense looked awesome, like moving his feet, getting his hands on balls, blocking shots. Like there's a, a play where Jalen Duran tried to post him up and like couldn't move him and got stripped. I mean, not that Jalen Duran is some amazing skill guy, but he's supposed to be a lot stronger than Jabari. And so that may be uh, kind of hopeful, particularly given some of the other size that they have now on the perimeter that he could really get into being a part of switching defenses. I kind of bought him as this switch guy could switch on to some of the best guards that like he stayed in front of Shaden really well. Got a, He got a strip on Scoot Henderson in transition when he tried to attack him. So those hands and, you know, getting a little bit stronger, he still has a pretty good size. I don't I know wonder, if it's going to be a, yeah. I want to build on that. I, I, when I was watching Jabari, one of the thoughts I had was, I think Ime Udoka is going to go to some lineups where they switch a lot and he's a small ball five. And, yeah. and it's going to be And they got Dylan really Brooks now fun. to do that. They got a man yeah. who, who could, who could do that. Uh, as well you know even fred van vliet like that that could be really interesting yeah and so i think that it could be a lineup they close with sometimes and i mean shangun is still uh, an intriguing talent i'm not saying it's going to be you know ime Odoka's alpha and omega but it, it could be something that they go to and smith having enough confidence in the jumper and being able to do that defensively like i see a path for him to be an important part of this evolved team and also with with jabari like i think that having players who are better at setting setting things up than the kpj Jalen Green combo last year that could really help him too and like the the handoff game as you mentioned with him being a jump shooter but with better offensive players and with guys who make fewer mistakes could end up being a really positive so like I mean one of the questions and we we haven't really talked about that many second year guys who really popped this year is just well do you do you see things that are new do you see things that make you more optimistic about what they could be and with Javari Smith the answer was in a wholehearted yes yeah, the, the passing too. I mean, he had because he really is not known as a passer at all. But he had a couple in addition to some of these like backdoor high post operation plays. He had a play where he rose up for a foul line jumper and like saw a cutter and audible out of that to find the guy uh, moving along the baseline for a layup. He also probably had the best quarter of anyone in summer league. He had 15 points and four assists in the first quarter against uh, the Detroit Pistons, <laughs> who we'll probably talk about next time. Let's get to Cam Whitmore now, who was uh, a bit of a mystery man of course fell to 20th when he was being considered maybe by Houston at four and maybe that level of comfortability was uh, a reason why Houston picked him eventually I, I thought he did exactly what you would have hoped to see from him at this summer league motivated no doubt uh, by that fall in the draft I agree overall but I also thought that there were elements of Cam Whitmore that I saw in the film that are justifiable and like could end up improving in time but like I thought he was a high effort like the low feel stuff was still there a little bit like in terms of both the shot selection and you know at times like his passing but overall you know a player who's you know 
forward sized who plays with intensity. I mean, 15 steals in five games is fantastic. Also had a couple of nice blocks. Um, so I, I think that with Whitmore, him falling to 20, like it was, it was kind of stunning in that sense of like, I wanted to see, is there something fundamentally wrong with him? Was there something that in my initial analysis that I got wrong and that's why I fell? And my answer is no, there wasn't anything that Cam Whitmore was sufficient, was like significantly more deficient at than I anticipated. Yeah, there were some injury concerns, which were not privy to um, in asking around a little bit around Summer League that he seemed at times almost like comatose in some of the, the interviews that he had with teams. And, you know, there's one team I talked to that was just like, yeah, we took him off our board completely that had a chance to, to draft him in a range that was kind of below where he was being mocked. And like, yeah, we just took him off our board completely because we just didn't want to have to have that discussion on a guy we weren't that familiar with. We had people we liked in that range. So it was just an interesting process to where like how some teams are, are going to do it and why a guy like him could fall now Whitmore had a ton of flashes he did end up shooting only 29 percent from three he took eight threes per game at 12 of 41 overall only got to the foul line for 16 free throw attempts which I that kind of continued a weird I just don't understand it how he can get fouled this little with the with the the type of game that he plays and the abandon with which he attacks the rim. You know, I thought his finishing looked a little bit better, uh, but he's still you know he'll kind of just crash into guys and try to figure it out. But he's a good enough athlete that he can do that. A lot of the times he had some big dunks. I mean, you mentioned that three steals a game where he was really just his speed first step attacking guys dribbles. So that's how a lot of those came to be, and then the, that led to some big runouts. So, hey, average 20 points a game, played 32 minutes, didn't seem to have any health issues whatsoever. So you saw, I I don't think that my initial opinion of him is particularly changed that, you know, I wasn't feeling like, okay, he was in contention in the top five. And, you know, I had him a little bit lower than some people. You know, I, I don't think that the people were like, oh, yeah, like he's clearly in the top five and now justified by what he did here. And there are some limitations to his game. And I think he is going to have to spend a lot of time in the G League. But, I mean, the athleticism is absolutely there. And he was able to translate that into some production and some big plays. Uh, anything else you wanted to add on him? Well, with Whitmore, what was so surprising about the fall, and you brought up the personality and, of course, the injuries, which we don't know everything about, is these are the types of players like what it's it's the weird thing when I'm lower on a guy than the consensus, but then they fall beyond that. It's the same in reverse when a guy goes too high of it's just like, what aren't they seeing? Where it's just like, OK, you know, maybe he's not a perfect player, but you can make a lot of things work. And, you know, he was a little bit selfish looking for a shot. Congratulations. So is basically everyone else in Summer League. And with Whitmore, one of the kind of big picture takeaways that I had for the Rockets is like, and this came up a little bit when I was I was talking with Jared Dubin for Real Jam Radio, is they have a lot of guys that I think are worthy of at least consideration for rotation spots this year, even with some of the guys they jettisoned. And so with Whitmore, I think it's good that they'll be able to bring him along slowly, be able to kind of coach him up and everything else. But like, there is a rotation player in here sooner rather than later. Yeah, I can't be sure about that just because what the role is going to be offensively early on is the question to me. But he played really hard, and hopefully that's something that will continue, that he'll continue to have that chip on his shoulder from where he was drafted. And maybe that will lead to an attitude change, which people were saying was not that great. And yeah, with his athleticism, his body, if if you play hard, like you're going to have a career for sure. But it's... Like, do we want him taking off the dribble three pointers at this stage? Like, probably not, right? Like, they mm-hmm. have any team is going to have better creators than that. And I think on some of these previous Rockets teams, he kind of would have fit right in, mostly for for ill there in terms of actually winning basketball games as a young player. But I thought he again w- was solid here, and I'm not 
like over the moon about him. But no, I think based on what we saw here, he should have been selected higher than he was. Another guy who probably should have been selected higher than he was was Tari Eason. And the biggest thing that I thought of when I watched Tari Eason and Cam Whitmore was all the Rockets will have to do is just put Cam Whitmore on the left side of the floor and Tari Eason <laughs> on the right side of the floor. And their offense would just be completely unstoppable. I, I'm such a big fan of Tari Eason. I think that his defense, and, and we didn't see as much of that in Summer League, of course, because that's just not what Summer League is for. But there is a subgenre of too good for Summer League, which is what the hell are they in Summer League for? And I kind of thought that's what Tari Eason was. I mean, 29 usage rate for him was pretty stunning in the two games he played in. And remember, those were the games that overlapped with Jabari. Those guys were just extremely dominant. And Eason wasn't doing it through like taking and making a ton of threes, but he was effective and he's a force on defense and he pushes it in transition. I thought his transition decision making was better. That was something as you and I watched the Rockets a lot in the middle of last year, not as much late sometimes. They that their transition offense, like it fell apart for weird reasons, not necessarily always the most logical. And Eason was a culprit there. Like he was overly aggressive sometimes trying to take layups that weren't there and everything else. And I thought he at times he's like, okay, I don't necessarily have this. I'm gonna dish the ball off. And it worked out well. I, I really love Tar Eason. Yeah, and he just makes things happen out there in transition. He's a dynamo and just really athletic. makes plays defensively i didn't see again am i super locked in on the team defensive aspect it's only the way i am in the regular season maybe not as much but you didn't see some of the mental mistakes that have plagued him at times and you know i thought he showed a little bit more ability to get left he had a couple of plays like one where he rejected the screen right to left and was able to finish uh, with his left hand at the rim around james wiseman another play where he went left initially out of pick and roll then crossed back right and dunked it all over i can't remember who it was but it was uh, it was a, a pretty huge evisceration in the pistons game now there are other times when he would kind of get stoned going right out of pick and roll try to go left and just get his pocket pick because he just wasn't comfortable uh, making that move but so i don't think like him as a line up the pins pick and roll guy is really going to work but bring it up quick drag screen get to his right hand get going downhill for a big finish and i think you could see some of that as well and, like his shot looked good he tried to create some mid-rangers which wasn't amazing but like i think he's, he's getting to a point where i i'm gonna feel pretty good about his future just making shots when he's open and then you know he just looked big out there he looked athletic it looks like he's gotten stronger makes plays defensively so if he's can just become a little bit more reliable i think they're gonna really have a player and we'll see how he's gonna fit in you know with with dylan brooks and and some of the new guys that they brought in and i'm sure there's a little bit of angst like all right dylan brooks is blocking this guy and can they really play together and all that but uh you know they had the salary cap space that was uh burning a hole in their pocket because the top four protected picks so but i I thought easton i mean he came in and just looked absolutely fantastic everything you could have realistically hoped to see for sure i'm a big fan of easton um anything else rockets wise you want to discuss no, I think that's going to do it uh, for today. Uh, well, actually, I wanted to talk about Don McBarlow. Uh, yeah, that's, that's probably enough. Uh, so uh, we'll be back again doing this uh, two-day-a-week schedule and uh, looking forward to hanging out with you guys uh, all summer. And uh, I think we'll go through some of the other teams a little more quickly than this, but all these teams at the top of the draft, uh, of course, had a lot of interesting players that we wanted to discuss. Uh, so we'll talk to you all again soon. Till then. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. 
All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor.